Thanks for tuning in to the Enjoying the Journey podcast, brought to you by Rise Ministries. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and to follow Rise Ministries on any of our social media channels. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome to our second episode of Enjoying the Journey. My name is Rob, and I'm so glad to have you joining us. I'm new to this podcast thing, but I'm loving it. You know, this whole idea of enjoying the journey, we've taken one step further and started producing a video series called Stories of Strength. You can check them out on our social media pages. Just look up Rise Ministries on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and you can check out these wonderful stories of people walking through adversity, but still holding on to hope. And I can't wait to share our time with you today with Liz Forkin Bohannon. Now, I've never personally met Liz until our conversation on today's episode, but I was so inspired by her when I heard her speak at the Global Leadership Summit a couple years ago and read her book, Beginner's Pluck. I thought we have got to have Liz on Enjoying the Journey. She is passionate. She is funny. She is the founder of Seiko Designs, and I love her mission. When you're done listening today, go and check out everything that Liz and her team are up to with Seiko Designs. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you'll start enjoying your journey as well. Well, wonderful. So excited that Liz has joined us Joined us today on Enjoying the Journey. Liz, we have never formally met, but I feel since I read your book and listened to you at the Global Leadership Summit, I feel like I know you even though I probably don't. And that's where I absolutely fell in love with what your story is and what you have been doing through, I believe it's called Seiko Designs, Mm -hmm. and just absolutely love the way you have shared your heart, not only through your book, Beginner's Pluck, but also on stage at the Global Leadership Summit. And so for those that maybe don't know you, don't know Seiko Designs and, and, and things like that, our whole concept with a podcast is enjoying the journey. And that means we have mountaintop experiences and we definitely have valley experiences. And from hearing your story, it seems like maybe you you had some of those. So if you would, would you just let us uh, have a peek into who Liz is and, and what Seiko Designs is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Liz. Um, depending on where we want to start, I could tell you that I grew up in the Midwest. I went to the University of Missouri and studied journalism and kind of had a vision that I wanted to use communication or writing or something in in that realm to contribute to making the world a little brighter and better. And specifically for women and girls, and even more specifically for women and girls that were living in global extreme poverty or in conflict and post-conflict zones. And so kind of out of that desire, I moved to Uganda in East Africa and really didn't have a clue what I was doing. I What I did know is that the purpose of that trip was just really to learn, to kind of learn and understand more about what are the issues women and girls are facing across the globe what are people doing? What's working? What's not working? It was really kind of a journey of curiosity. And through that process, I ended up meeting some really incredible young women who were in between high school and university who had um, tested into college but couldn't afford to go. And so long story short, I ended up partnering with this school to kind of bridge this gap between high school 
in college. Uh, in Uganda, there's a nine month gap between high school and college. And so the hope was to create some sort of employment program where women, they could come be a part of what we were doing, earn an income, learn a skill, um, and, and earn money that would ultimately contribute to their university education and kind of bridge that gap, not just financially, but honestly, also from kind of a community support um, perspective as well. And so I designed a pair of these strappy, funky sandals, now known as Seiko ribbon sandals. It's still to this day one of our flagship products. It has a leather base and interchangeable fabric straps that can be tied and styled in different ways and hired three young women, Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca. Kind of told them, pitched them, if you will, on the big dream and the vision. It was like, all right, ladies, here's the deal. If you make these sandals for the next nine months, I'll go home and try to sell them. You'll go to college in the fall. And they were like, okay. And so that's kind of how it all started. And that was a whopping nearly over a decade ago, actually. So we've been at this for about 10 years. And so obviously... Um, in some ways, our company has evolved in in massive ways. We've you know grown significantly from that you know original product to we are now a full on women's lifestyle fashion brand. So, clothing, um, handbags, footwear, accessories. We've got a beautiful catalog. We do four collections a year. Um, we've evolved pretty significantly from a business model standpoint. So we're now kind of an omni-channel model, meaning that we sell our products online just through SeikoDesigns.com. But the real driver for us um, is that we have a network of now thousands of uh, primarily female, but we've got, we've got some guys in there, um, social entrepreneurs here in the U S who sell the product. And so they really partner with us to market the brand, to sell the product, to um, provide incredible just connection and customer service service to their community, really bringing them into the impact in the story. Um, and they're actually, the, that is, they're called the Seiko Fellows, and that's the main driver of our growth and, and revenue right now. And so in some ways, our company has evolved a lot from those early days. And then in other ways, we haven't. You know, we still partner with that same youth development organization, our kind of core work that we do in Uganda is around um, creating that kind of bridge pathway for academically gifted female scholars. In Uganda, we've expanded our scholarship program to Ethiopia. Um, We have partners all over the world now. So Uganda, Ethiopia, um, Peru, India. And so really our vision there is to go find folks that are doing great work in their community as it relates to um, using production as a tool to um, treat people fairly and to contribute to economic development and freedom. Um, and then we partner with those folks to make beautiful products that then we sell and market to our customer base here in the United States. It's awesome. I remember the first time I heard you start sharing about it. And of course, I think I'm s- some of the reason that I was engaged uh, with your personality and Seiko Designs and all of that because you're from the Midwest. I'm a Midwest guy. I'm from from Iowa. And so Missouri is real close by. Anytime somebody says, hey, I'm from the Midwest and God has put this thing on my heart and it's growing internationally or globally or whatever, it's it's very exciting. And then also just to have that that vision and that mindset of I want to do something bigger in the world. I want to use the gifts that I've been given and I want to impact or, or affect the lives of others. And like you said, it's, it's almost a decade that has gone by now. But reading your book and, and listening to you speak a, a year ago, 
as we talk about enjoying the journey, the idea is we're, we're all on a journey, right? We all, we all have a story. We all have a path. And some days we're on the mountaintop and other days we're in the valley. And so when we start these ideas or these ideas grab our hearts or these, these dreams grab us, help us walk through that every day is not a mountaintop experience. That and I heard, I heard Paula Ferris, who has also been on the Global Leadership Summit before, say this this year, and it grabbed my heart so strongly that it kind of helped inspire this podcast. And she said that tragedy and pain and opportunity can coexist. Mm. See, so often we think it's one or the other. You either have opportunity, and then there's no adversity in the way. Or you only have adversity, but there's no opportunity. And I love the way she put that pain, tragedy and opportunity coexist. Can you speak into that a little bit with what you've gone through over the last decade, just building this beautiful company? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with with Paula. And I think not only can they coexist side by side, but oftentimes one is the other, right? The thing that breaks our heart, the thing that keeps us awake at night, our greatest challenge or struggle, oftentimes that same thing breaks a lot of other people's hearts. So that same problem that you're facing plagues other people as well. And so I I would argue that, of course, not all of the time, but a lot of the time, some of the greatest innovation and the greatest opportunity, there's a um, lies in those in those problems. There's a chapter in my book, I'm sure you're familiar, that's called The Problem Finder. And it's all about, we often think that, um, you know, finding opportunities or being a leader is all about, you have to be really good at coming up with solutions. And I would argue that like, actually, the most important thing is backing up and saying, are you someone that's really good at finding real and interesting problems because so often we're so quick to jump to a solution and we don't even ask ourselves like, but what problem is this solving, right? We come up with some, some widget or gidget or app or organization idea. And then we can't actually answer the question of like, what are we doing? What problem do we exist to solve? And so I absolutely agree with Paula on that. Um, and then I think the notion that not every day is the mountaintop day is so true. And it is such a necessary thing for us to talk about because I feel like especially my generation has been um, sold a fake bill of goods as it relates to finding your passion and living out your purpose and kind of, you know, this notion that if you find your dream job, you're never going to work a day in your life. No, no. If you find your dream job, you're going to work every day for the rest. Yes, you are. Like it's actually like you're not going to clock in and out and there isn't, you're going to have to work a lot harder actually to find those boundaries. And that doesn't mean that there isn't joy in it and deep satisfaction. Um, It's all worth it tenfold. Right. Um, But we're doing folks a disservice when we kind of say like, once you find the thing, um, everything's going to click and it's going to fit and you're not going to be stressed. You're never going to be bored. You're never going to feel discouraged. You're never going to feel aimless, like all of those things again. Um, you know, the root of the word passion is the Latin word pati, which means suffer, to suffer. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is something that I think in American culture, like the way that we talk about passion, uh, yeah. you would not guess that, right? Uh, yeah. 
that it's like, oh no, passion, it's all good. It's all fun. It's all happy. And the reality is like, no, it means if you're passionate about something, that actually means that you're willing to some degree to suffer for it, to have those down days, to be questioning yourself, to experience like, you know, a stress or a burden or um, to push yourself to the next level to, to stay engaged. Um, but man, if we do that, it's so rich and it's so good, but I see so many people give up so early and never get to the other side of that threshold. And I think it's largely because of their, yeah, their expectations about what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like and what it's going to be like, um, that we think, oh, if I feel those things, it must be that I'm on the wrong path as opposed to like, oh no, you're feeling those things. Congratulations. You're human living in the world, you know? Yes. I had a very, very intelligent older businessman one time say to me, you know, fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintop. It grows in the valley. Ooh, that's good. And I was like, you are, you are so right. But as you look for your passion, as you work towards your dream job, it's funny. We've only done two episodes of the podcast and both of you have used the word suffering Mm. and opportunity together. And that we as Westerners are afraid of suffering because as you just mentioned, if we suffer, that must mean we're on the wrong track because it's just supposed to, you know, every day the flowers are supposed to bloom and the birds are supposed to chirp and the sun's supposed to come out. But you living in the Midwest early on as as a younger individual and myself being in the Midwest currently, we know the sun does not come out every day and the birds do not chirp every day. Actually, they don't really for seven months. That's called winter here in (laughs) in Iowa, which is absolutely brutal. And the whole reason we decided to do Enjoying the Journey podcast is I talk to you right now. I am actually sitting in a motorized wheelchair. Mm-hmm. That's my my story is, you know, I get to be in, in one of those. And you don't look at that as an opportunity every day. And so when Paula said, you know, that pain, tragedy and opportunity can coexist, it just hit me so mm-hmm. much. Because it's through the suffering, it's through working through the hard things that we start to see where there's opportunity. And when I listened to how you have worked through that, through your book and again through through speaking, it, it was just huge. There were many days, I'm sure, that you wanted to maybe throw the towel in. You're like, what am I doing? Yes, I want to help three girls go to university. But are you kidding me? I mean, I remember you saying something in your book. Like, that's what every proud dad thinks. After a four-year degree, you jump on a plane, no plan. I'm going to go help these gals. And I'm not making a living at all. And so somebody that's struggling right now to enjoy their journey. And again, it could be they're building a company. It could be they're in a chair. It could be physical, financial. What words would you give them to encourage them on in, in their journey? Mm, I think that the two things that might seem opposite, but I really think can coexist together. One would be this sense that like, it's okay not to be okay. I think, I think part of, you know, it's like you wake up in the morning and you're feeling frustrated. You're feeling demoralized. You're feeling confused. Whatever the negative emotion is, that exists. And then all of a sudden, quickly, without us even knowing, layered on top of that negative emotion is all of this shame and expectation. And well, 
then I get on Instagram and I see that I'm the only one that's struggling. and I'm the only one that's feeling right. this way. And if I'm doing the thing that I love, you know, why you must be doing something wrong. There's, we just, and all of that spiraling happens because we're not able to just accept our emotions as a normal, natural part of going through this wild, wonderful, brutal, terrible, amazing journey of life. Right. You know, and and it might sound really woohoo, but I have a four-year-old son when he's really struggling with his emotions, which is basically, you know, every day because he's four. I love to kind of do this analogy where we say, okay, we're going to go sit on the riverbank and we sit on our imaginary riverbank and we just watch the river go by and we just, we just look and we just name our emotions. Just Mm. like, are you feeling sad? Are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling unheard? Are you feeling jealous? Are you feeling, you know, and just like, okay, that's all we have to do with it. We can just name it and we don't have to be mad about it. We don't have to beat ourselves up about it. We don't have to overanalyze it. We can just say, you know what, like, I'm feeling a little sad about this. And to say to somebody else, like, I get that. That's okay. On the other side of that, I think what we can also do in the midst of just like acknowledging our discouragement is we can be miracle hunters. And I I, I talked about this a little bit in the book of this idea that it's like when we are feeling particularly discouraged or frustrated or like our plans are, you know, going down the toilet, that can be a moment for us to trigger this sense of, um, in this belief that like things didn't go according to my plan right here. So there must be something really good waiting for me that I wouldn't have discovered that I wouldn't have stumbled upon had this thing not happened. Um, and I just, I believe it. And I am not, I will tell you that I'm, I am just like, not really on the, just like manifest your own destiny. Like if you just think it and believe it, it'll happen. Train. But I am absolutely a believer in like, if you go seriously looking for miracles, you will find them. And the thing about it is we can't be expectant of what it's going to be, right? Like, well, I, right. I want this miracle to be that I win a million dollars tomorrow. Right. Good luck. There's some yahoos out there that'll tell you if you just dream about that, it'll happen. I'm not. <laughs> but if you yeah. leave yourself totally open-minded and open-handed to say, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a teeny tiny miracle or a big one, or if it has to do with my work or my you know personal life. But if you go looking for those moments, you will find them. And cultivating that as opposed to experiencing something difficult and then letting yourself spiral into the victim mentality. This always happens to me. I'm the only one who ever experiences that. Like, because that's obviously just not true. And it's also like right. kind of an oddly narcissistic, like exceptionalism in a negative way, right? Like I'm the right. only one that bad stuff always happens to. And it's just like, bless you. Bless <laughs> you that out of seven, you know, billion people, right. you believe the narrative that you're especially especially unlucky, you know, um, and just recognizing that like, we're all in this together and we all have bad days and we all have tragedy and we all have grief and throughout the course of a lifetime, um, and, and, and to cultivate that, that reminder. Yeah. I absolutely love that to go looking for miracles. And when you ask, like you said, they can happen, happen big or, or they can happen small and just, some of the other things that you talked about in the book was setting a schedule or goals when things weren't working out 
exactly the way you wanted them to work out, to, to stay the course, to, to continue on. We've been talking about this podcast for years, and some of what you brought up is the reasons why I didn't want to do it. Because mm. I'll look at somebody else's podcast and they have that many listeners or subscribers, or I go to the Instagram page and they have so many more followers. And so then you feel like this huge failure and you're like, what am I doing? Nobody cares about what we're doing. This is dumb that we're doing. Why am I spending this time? And in that moment, like you you have to take a step back and realize that is your platform. So you may be going through a difficult time. You're in the valley right now. Don't give up in the valley. You got to start climbing that mountain again so you can see the mountaintop experience. I'm so glad that you brought up looking for miracles because I have not seen the miracle manifested in me, meaning that I am physically 100% healed. Yeah. Not yet. But there's still opportunity. Mm -hmm. There is still moments of miracles happening. I, I mean, I'm my wife and I will celebrate 23 years this November, yeah, which, you know, society would say a disabled human beings should not be married. And we have three kids. I have a senior son. Well, we have a senior son and we have a, a freshman daughter. So maybe you could help me on how to deal with a four year old and my freshman daughter, because I think they match up in the same mm -hmm. emotional category most days. And then I have uh, we have a seventh grade daughter. And it's in those moments of, of raising kids, even, that you're in the valley. And yeah. it's like, holy moly, I did not realize things were going were gonna to go quite this way. My senior, I enjoy being around most of the time. <laughs> My freshman daughter, so are you happy today? Can I talk to you? Can you not? The funny thing is, she has to help me walk across the room. So I hold on to both of her arms. Mm -hmm. And so I can kind of control her arms. And so when she's helping me, I always slap them together. Yay for daddy. Yay for daddy. And she just has to laugh, even though she's so annoyed that she has to help dad. But that's what I want people to understand, that in those uncomfortable, somewhat awkward situations where things aren't going exactly according to your plan, you can still enjoy the journey. As much as I hate needing that help, you know how much I enjoy mm. messing with my freshman daughter? To say, yay, daddy, slapping her arms together. And just to get that little smirk out of the corner of her mouth, it's all worth it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really sweet. I love that idea of, you know, we are so specifically as Americans, we are so conditioned to never want to have to ask for help. Right. And to feel ashamed of that and to feel like it's a burden or it's annoying or frustrated with it or whatever it is. And it's like so often that's where the moments of connection come, you know, right. and for you, it's like quite literally, I need help walking across the room. But it's like that is in your relationship, which can, you know, creates these small moments of right. of connection. And there's something really, really powerful about modeling willingness to uh, raise your hand and to ask for help um, and, and to model looking for the bright spots of finding like connection and, and using those um, opportunities to actually build a relationship and build trust and build intimacy and connection and all of those things. And, and I was just reading a chapter in your book, book as well that I think kind of highlighted that. And that was being okay to ask for help because you were just talking about that in, in that particular chapter, that as we become vulnerable and say, hey, I and it's tough. First of all, 
I, I mean, I'm a middle aged. I hate to admit that, but I guess I am a <laughs> middle aged male. So to ask for help is is challenging. But you bring up such a, a beautiful thing in that chapter that by being vulnerable and asking for help, I'm not actually pushing people away. I'm giving them the opportunity to say, you know what, it's okay to be vulnerable and and to ask for help as well. And we may build a stronger connection than we would have before. And so we were talking about looking for little miracles. We, we do a festival every year here in our small community that triples our community for, for a weekend or, or whatever. And one of our team members, we asked him to share a story because we've been doing it for 15 years and we, we weren't able to do it this year because of the, the pandemic. And so we, we asked them to share stories. And this individual wrote, you know, I've asked God to heal Rob so many times. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, I thank God for his disability mm -hmm. because of his vulnerability and allowing people to help him or by Rob needing their help, it opened some doors that maybe would have never opened. That was very hard for me to read because mm -hmm. I'm the vulnerable person, but what you wrote about in your chapter was dead on mm -hmm. because it allowed somebody else to say, it's, it's okay. Yep. It's okay to ask for help. And, and I think as we begin to ask for help, we can enjoy the journey just a little bit more. It doesn't mean we take people uh, for granted or take advantage of them. It just means I need your help. Sure. Yep. And just letting people, you know, I think there's this idea that, and you never know, let people surprise you. Like right. there will be people who deny your request for help. Let them be free. Like you don't right. know what is on them. You don't know what their story is. Like wasn't the right time, the right place. But for those who take you up on the invitation, oh, such truly beautiful partnerships and relationships can happen. And I think when a relationship happens, when it starts that way, you automatically are giving the other person freedom to then ask something back of you, right? Absolutely. You know, it's like, it's such an invitation that it's like, the minute you call me up and say, uh, I, you know, I need a ride to the airport, right? whatever it is, it, I'm like, all of a sudden, like, oh, you're somebody that I can ask that of because you asked it of me, right? It like creates right. the sense of, um, of freedom and you do it over and over and over again. And until you get to the point where it no longer, I can say I, I live in a community of folks here in Portland, Oregon, and this is something we have practiced in our community for years and years is, is this idea that your ask is a gift that like, you are not a burden. You are not asking, you are giving and you are creating an invitation. And I can truly say that probably five years into practicing this as a community, the stigma and the weight behind it has totally completely changed. Like I don't have a filter anymore between like, of like, Oh, can I ask? I'm going to put that person out. I mean, have, have they done three favors for me and have I repaid them yet? You know, sure. like I had a friend that came over the other day and I was about to take a bunch of clothes and go sell them. And she was rummaging through them and she took like, you know, the five, hot ticket items that yeah. I sell yeah. for the most. Right. And so I was up putting my boys to bed. So, you know, she texted a photo of everything that she took and she was like, I'll pay you, you know, what the store would have paid you. What do I owe you? And I'm just like, you know what? I have a feeling it's all going to equal out in the end. You know, like 
we don't have to be so concerned about, and that was with actual, you know, money and physical stuff. What I'm really talking about is the currency of favors and friendship and service that it's just like, if we're measuring, if we're trying to settle our debts by the end of every day, like what we're running is a business, right? right? If, if we truly believe in relationship and community, we can be free to say like, it's probably, let's just believe that in the end, it's probably going to net out. And so let's have freedom and knowing that there's going to be seasons of giving and seasons of receiving. Um, but being on the other side of having really changed what is a strong cultural message that we as Americans receive around help and neediness and shame. Oh, it's just, there's no part of me that wonders even a little bit, like, is this how we were created to live? And the answer is like, of course. Right. Well, Liz, I thank you so much for being with us today. And I want to give a huge shout out to Beginner's Pluck. I think it's a fantastic book. I also think if you have an event that Liz could speak at, that would be wonderful as well. I appreciate everything that you're doing through Seiko Designs, so much so that I actually want to talk to you off record about my daughter getting involved. That little Great! I would love that. Yes. And so just appreciate it. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for enjoying your journey and sharing tidbits with us as you go along. Thank you so much, Rob. It was such a delight and pleasure. And thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you for making this podcast um, and not listening to to the inner critic. (laughs) 